Hi, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR works. It's hard to open a paper or listen to the news without hearing about another act of violence, and an unfortunate number of those happen in the workplace. No employer or employee is immune from becoming a victim, and many employers are soft targets for violence. But it's hard to know exactly what steps to take to protect your workers. To help us with some practical tips, we've asked Mike Mealy to join us. Mike is the Northeast Subregional EHS Manager for Eaton Corporation. He has 36 years of experience in manufacturing environments. He has a Master's of Professional Studies in Homeland Security from the University of Connecticut and a Master of Science in Business Administration and Management from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Mike, welcome to HR Works. Great, thanks for having me. So, what um, types of situations lead to violence in the workplace? What what sort of triggers are there? Yeah, so from the on the macro level, I mean, just think about let's think about uh, locations um, in terms of of demographics, right? Private companies are certainly subject to it. Retail stores, where we've seen folks, you know, the people that have come through in, in malls, soft targets, from an active shooter perspective. Governments and you know, government businesses were. The entrances to buildings, um, you know, they're open to the public, right? They're supposed to be buildings that, that have free access for the public to to to, to enter. Um, but the root issue really comes around from from human behavior, right? These these incidents, whether it's not just limited to active shooters, it's it certainly can be uh, verbal abuse. It can be you know physical abuse if if something goes wrong. Um, you know, it could be threatening type activity, whether it's indirect threats, conditional threats, direct threats. Those are all pieces of this this challenge. But of course, the biggest concern becomes, you know, when somebody gets a weapon and, and decides to take action around a violent activity. But but in in essence, really, it's somebody that's been wronged, and they have they they're going to make it right in this context, and they choose to do it in, in a violent manner. Okay. Um, now, are there indicators or signs that uh, that employers and employees could look out for that might warn of an impending problem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, and, and I don't know, many people may remember if they took psychology in, in school, high school, was the, the old Maslow's hierarchy of needs model, right? And if you think about it from that perspective, right, people are anywhere, somewhere on that pyramid, whether it's trying to survive from a, from a basic needs perspective all the way to, as it re, you know, frames self-actualization. But I, I bring that up because because when employers, right, they have a variety of people working for them. And so we'll talk about, you know, some of the preventative actions around making sure that they can, they can do things to, to get ahead of this issue. But certainly to your question, right, people that have behavioral changes, or significant life events would probably be the focal points. Maybe things like mood shifts. They act suspicious of other people. They're unable to keep conversations. They have changes in appearance, changes in personal hygiene, or they appear to be using, obviously, drugs and alcohol. On the, on the, on the significant life side, 
any kind of traumatic stress event that's going on, if they're in financial trouble, then maybe they've got a, uh, they're in the process of losing a job or they have a parenting challenge that's a crisis, marital problems, uh, and, of course, loss of, of, of family. So, so many things that are out there that people have to deal with that are potential signs that something's going on, right? So that, that's really the focal point when it comes to our employees. So if, uh, if you observe somebody who's exhibiting some of these warning signs, but they haven't uh, done anything violent up to that point, what can an employer do to prevent the violence from erupting? Well, I think, it, so if I focus on the, the I mean, the question would be if someone's exhibiting warning signs, you know, the, I think one of the options, and hopefully this is answering the question, but one of the options is, is having people trained within the, within the organization for what's kind of referred to as crisis prevention intervention. And these are techniques that you learn, you know, for de-escalating an issue. The biggest I've, I've seen, some of the training classes I've done, people have come asking, you know, what are the, those kinds of things that we can, we can get in place, right? My wife is actually a, uh, a registered nurse that works at a hospital that, that is a CPI trainer, right? So you figure the, so think about a hospital in an emergency room where you got all kinds of potential issues there around violence, right? So, so the, they train, right? They train the medical professionals on how to de-escalate a patient when they're starting to get um, demonstrating the potential of, of acts of violence, right? So, um, and there's a lot of things that you learn around certain statements that you never say when somebody's kind of on the edge of looking like they're going to lose their composure. Um, I work with some, some of the local law enforcement, state police, and, and the training that they, they get around that topic. So there's a lot of things to do, but I think if somebody's exhibiting warning signs that something's going to go on, right, and I'm talking about in the immediate, this is where my frame of reference is. There's things to do, obviously, if, if there's some, some time here where maybe somebody in the workforce reports a potential issue. So what do you, you know, certainly those things have to be acted upon uh, in a professional manner, right? We don't want to create drama where it doesn't exist, but we can never allow these things to say, not a big deal, well, they just probably had a bad day. That's not the world we live in anymore. Okay, thanks. So what about then um, outside of work? What, what can you do to encourage employees if they become aware of potential problem outside of work? For example, an abusive spouse is threatening them or how, how do you convince them to come forward and tell the company and seek some help? Well, I think the first place every company has to go is they have to have a workplace violence policy, and it has to have, it's got to be zero tolerance, number one. Right? It has to become part of that organization's uh, documented policy. Number two, you want to have a, a process for reporting, and you want it to be, you want one to, you know, to be anonymous as well as, you know, making sure employees understand there's an open-door policy as it relates to this type of stuff. So the right people have to be identified as those those champions of those issues. But I think it's critical to have that environment where employees recognize they have a place to go and they have people that they can report issues to. And then train them. You've got, you know, training the employees to what those things are. You train them in the policy, train them to the reporting process, and that they have that option to use if there's something there that's concerning. Kind of this whole refer, re, frame of reference is around the employer's responsibility to, uh, or a duty to warn and protect, right? And, and the other piece to this is not to mention uh, OSHA's general duty clause, right, 5A1. So just on that, that simple premise that, you know, 5A1 says each employer shall furnish 
to each of his employees' employment, uh, you know, a place of employment where it's free of recognized hazards that are causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm to its employees. So inside the workplace, certainly that's what that refers to. Outside the workplace, if there's potential issues, you really want them to feel comfortable that they can report in a manner that they're not afraid to. Great. So is there any sort of assessment process that uh, employers can use to measure the likelihood of a violent incident? Yeah, there's a lot out there. I mean, I, I typically, I, so what I'm, I'm kind of referring to that as the, as the vulnerability assessment of the workplace. All right, and there's a lot of tools that are out there that, that some of I, I provide, you know, reference to that are available on the web, you know, at no cost. There's one out there that um, that um, OSHA has, which is an actual survey. I think it's Business and Legal Reports has it out, but it's a vulnerability survey. It really is a good one for comprehensive review. But you, you the, 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 taking the time to do that vulnerability assessment and look at not just the physical attributes of the facility, um, but also, you know, the internal as well, right, the workforce. Um, having people, you know, I'll t I talk a lot about a culture of, of open reporting. So, but, but these are a lot of the, the things that need to be part of and integrated into the business. The short answer is vulnerability assessment is the focus and making sure you look at all aspects of, of, the, of the business as it relates to this topic. And then how do you go ahead and use that information to prioritize your actions to prepare for and prevent violence? So, so doing the vulnerability assessment provides, let's say you go out you know, with a team, you create a team, or you utilize your internal leadership team in, in an organization to become that vulnerability assessment team or workplace violence team, and this is one of the activities. So you gather the information so you create your list of things, right? whether it's access to the building, lighting in the parking lot, door locks that don't work, um, you know, office arrangements that are not, you know, not necessarily ones that provide means for control, whether it's, you know, a violent patient in the hospital. And there's a whole dialogue you can have on school systems and where they're going around protecting the schools. But the, the, what, where you end up is in a process, We what I like to use is the, the traditional risk cube, where you're measuring the risk, right, you quantify the risk mathematically as a function of the severity of whatever it is that you've determined is, is a risk, the probability and if there's controls in place or no controls in place. So you eventually generate a risk rank for all your items. And then at least you can quantify, here's our top priorities, whether it's the top three, top five, top ten. And then, you, you, you know, whether it's a, whatever the organization is, right, you make your business case on how you're going to spend resources to address those risks. Okay, thanks. So then um, further about the facility, I believe you've talked about hardening the workplace so it's less vulnerable. Could you explain what that is? Yeah, so hardening, again, becomes when you start looking and somebody wants to do a little Google query of organizational resilience, I mean, a lot of focus in that topic is on software and computer computer hacking from a cyber, cyber attack perspective. But hardening the facility is is really making it difficult for somebody that wants to do harm to a particular site, whether it's an employee that is on, on their way in to do something bad, or it could be a retired employee that's upset, or it could be just somebody that's on the street that looks for an opportunity at the business that you own for whatever the reason. And so, so you want to make it difficult for that particular individual to, to cause or cre create a violent act, right? So it's, again, whether it's access control, it's, it's security gates, 
you can't get in the facility without a badge reader. There's cameras that are out there that are watching what goes on. Um, you know, whether it's doors on buildings that have, again, locks and then have intrusion detection. Dependent upon what that risk level is that you've determined through your vulnerability assessment, you need to look at um, demographics of where the facility is located. Is, the, is it a high crime area? Is it an area that has a significant amount of sexual predators? You know, those pieces of data come into that assessment, and, and you think about how do I harden my organization or facility as it relates to those kinds of things. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, now, uh, with your experience, what are the most effective anti-violence measures that employers can take? So, I think there's two that really, I mean, everything's, what I kind of use the phrase, everything is upstream. So, anti-violent measures that employees can, so when you talk about people, Right, things like pre-employment pre-employment screening is extremely important. You've got to really have a process to, to screen the people that you're looking to hire. Um, and then, you know, we talked about hardening the facility based on external risk. Okay, that, then the other pieces that come into the measures that can take to create, you know, an effective anti-violence perspective. You want to make sure you're identifying resources that you can take advantage of. I would encourage uh, the first thing in that regard is bring in your local law enforcement. Have them come in and then sit with you to go to, to see what your facility looks like. What are the concerns that you have? Let them explain what their response capability is, whether it's a function of time, um, the type, how many people that would be able to get to a, to their facility if there was an issue, and I'm not talking just about active shooter. I mean, whether it's any kind of con concern, it could be somebody making an idle threat against your facility on social media. I had I had one facility that 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 occurred with last year, and so all of the measures come out of that with regard to adding security to the building, having the police go visit the particular uh, retired employee to find out whether this person is really a threat. But making sure the relationship with law enforcement is, is identified and that they've been through the organization and looked at the facility to tell you what they can do to support you. Because when you look at the active shooter data, on average, it's done in 14 minutes. And that 14 minutes is where there's no response from law enforcement. So that's a piece of it. Um, social services, mental health, these are things on the outside that can help, but those are after the fact. Um, and really a piece of it, too, is lessons learned process. So when things come up that are concerns, that are, that are let's call them, you know, near misses or something that happened that wasn't that big of a deal but could have been, you know, you take the output from that discussion and just sort of what's the lessons learned from that. And so how does that fit into our list of activity and how does it risk rank against that list? But I think pre-employment screen is huge. Law enforcement Relationships with them and hardening the organization is probably the three, three, three focal points that I would that I would recommend. Well, that's great advice. What what kind of support options are available to help out employees? Um, so I think most I'm some most most organizations have an employee assistance program. Um, you know, with regard to so they have somebody that they can go to in, a, in an anonymous anonymous way. Um, other support options, again, reporting process. Got to have it. And I would, sit, I would strongly focus in on, in order for employees to feel that they have the support, right, the, the organization's culture needs to, to look at 
you know, promoting a culture of respect, promoting promoting a culture of, of diversity and where diversity exists, and they, not just in diversity from, you know, from a, from a nationality perspective, but even diversity in thought. And what I mean, what I mean by diversity in thought is people have to, to have to be, you know, are given the ability to or the opportunity to voice their their concerns without feeling disrespected. Um, other support options I sort of mentioned already, you know, when it comes to um, if there's an issue related, so so things like mental health services, social services, shelters. Again, you talked about you know if there's a domestic violence issue and some somebody needs support from that standpoint. So having that information and knowledge in advance as part of your program is important, so that you're not reacting after something occurs or somebody comes and approaches with the need. Thank you. So now, uh, unfortunately, I have to ask, what's the um Best advice for employees if they do suddenly encounter an active shooter. Well, there's you know, there's two there's, there's in my recent research. I mean, there's two there's two frames of reference that I'm that I typically put out there. One, as most people may be aware, but Homeland Security focuses on the the, the universal run hide fight. Right. So somebody encounters an active shooter. The the general training that came out. You know, early on was to run, to hide, and then if there's no option, and, and, you know, you find yourself in a situation where you have no choice, you're encouraged to fight. And there's a lot of things that we can talk about around that. Then there's additional thoughts that have come out that uh, sort of change the framework where it's react, escape, and survive. And the, and the the general has said in that training is is. When, if you ever were ever encountered with an active shooter, is your ability to react is critical. So, if you guys think about, here's an example, right? I used to do this for emergency evacuation training. We, we I'll give you an example. We put a, a smoke bomb in a in a test rig and a piece of equipment to see what the employees would do, right? Well, our expectation is they would see something going on, and our hope was they would pull the alarm. What do you think everybody did? They all gravitated to the smoke. And so they went towards the issue. The point I'm getting to is this is a training. You know, people need to understand that your your level of preparedness is, is directly proportional to your level of training. And reacting to a gunshot has to be quick. In other words, you don't want to be standing there going, if, if you heard a gunshot, right, was that a gunshot? And then you're know, looking around. So, so it's, it's reacting to that situation. And then the escape piece, so hide versus escape. Hide, yes, escape, hide, but the, the, the general uh, thrust here is is constantly moving, right? There's too many examples where these active shooter events have occurred. People, you know, found themselves, I think the Virginia Tech example with the 31 students in the classroom where they stayed, right? And the shooter eventually got to them. So the point is you, you hide, but then you can have a plan to continue to move from an escape standpoint. And finally... You fight to survive, right? You want to survive as an individual. So the, there's things people can do, you know, where, where they where they work, you know, to, to plan. And I used to do this a lot with, with the folks that work for me, walk in the office and say, okay, person walks in the door right now with a gun, what are you going to do? What's your plan? So there's the thought process around wherever you are, and I can talk about tons of scenarios, right? What's your plan to, re- to react to that and get yourself out so you can escape and survive? Okay, um, you're talking about training. What uh, what form should the training take? Do you, is it just uh, an hour now and again, or some kind of uh, 
experiential training, or what do you recommend? Well, I've been using um, some training that comes out of a company called Active Countermeasure. Um, it's activecountermeasure.com. I, I really like what they've done recently. It's about 20 minutes. Um, the way they've structured it, they, they've got seven modules, and you can take a test, written test for each one, and there's a certification that comes from it. Um, but, but you know, there's a lot of it out there. I mean, you can people can certainly go to the, to the Department of Homeland Security and pull down uh, active shooter training from there. And then the overall piece is, you know, the, the, this, the training package that I do kind of encompasses where you are on the continuum of, right, from the when the event occurs, whatever it is, doesn't have to be just an active shooter, but what the emergency event is, what the emergency response protocols are, right, what level of training has been completed. And then the other part of it is, you know, having a, a, a communication plan, a crisis communication plan it becomes critical. Because when these things occur, whether it's an active shooter or some other event, you know what, what, what happens within 30 seconds. Those phones that people have cameras and videos on are going to take pictures and put it out on social media before you even have a chance to call the senior manager of the organization to tell them what happened. So the next thing you have is Fox News sitting there on your property with people with cameras wanting to talk to employees on what happened, and it, it becomes a disaster from a public relations perspective. So. There's a lot of planning. There should be a crisis communication plan. People should be trained as to what they're supposed to say, who's assigned to say what, and make sure that they're prepared to give the media what they need on a regular basis because otherwise it becomes a difficult, it, it becomes a brand issue, right? And there's, a, and there's some liability that relates to it, right? People that are family members of victims should not be hearing about issues with their family members from social media or the news. So. A big part of, of the overall program would would would, relo- you know, would rest into that as well. So so I like you know people should focus on that as they as they put their plans together. All right, Mike. This is uh, this is all great advice. I think for all of our listeners to uh, to sum it all up. Uh, what's the most important thing you recommend to companies that want to guard against workplace violence? So uh, just philosophically, right? The world we live in is a different place. So it's a new way of thinking. Business leaders have to recognize that this is not, this is, I I like to use the analogy, it's kind of like, what do we invest into this particular topic? It's kind of like, do I buy that emergency generator for my house in the event of, of, if I lose power, right? You can buy that generator and never use it for 10 years. It's the same kind of thing, right? You could put all kinds of things in place to prevent workplace violence and it never, may never happen there. But bottom line is the potential is there, so you have to be prepared, regardless. So preparation is key. The vulnerability assessment to me is is critical to do. Um, Establishing relationships with law enforcement is critical as well. Understand what you're going to get for support and what the time frame is for them to respond. Engaging you with your employees is absolutely critical. Having an open reporting culture, because at the end of the day, the people that are going to provide the information about potential issues are those folks that are on the floor in the trench day-to-day doing the work. They are, the, they are critical to make sure that you've got a good relationship from that perspective. And again, just making sure that uh, for the HR folks, right, you, you, there is a piece of litigation preparedness here. So all this stuff plays into making sure, just like anything else that the company's responsible for, that they're doing all the right stuff and you have a process to document what goes on. Mike will be among the presenters at BLR's upcoming Workplace Violence Prevention Symposium, 
being held March 2nd and 3rd in Orlando, Florida. The nation's leading workplace violence prevention conference features an all-new agenda outlining tactical strategies for reducing the risk of security breaches, workplace violence, and legal liabilities through powerful keynotes, substantive breakout sessions, and skills-building workshops. Learn more or register at workplaceviolence.blr.com. That's workplaceviolence.blr.com. So listeners, please let me know what HR work should cover next. Bruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. The opinions expressed on HR Works do not represent legal or any other type of professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified attorney licensed in your state.